You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, and thanks for downloading our podcast today. This week and next, we're traveling down the West Coast, and today we're in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, where I met with Rod Linares and Florin Romero, and we had some great conversation around stewardship and development. And actually, those two are in different departments in their diocese. But before we go there, I have a new opportunity for you to be part of our podcast, and it's very simple. Just visit our website at advancingourchurch.com, and when you get there, you'll notice a new button on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, and it says, Leave a Voicemail. And that's your opportunity to leave me a message or feedback, which could be part of an upcoming episode. So if you're listening to one of our episodes, like today, and you'd like to offer your input or a comment or maybe even a question, leave me a voicemail right on the website. You can even do it using your phone. Again, just visit us at advancingourchurch.com and leave us a voicemail. I'd love to hear from you. This podcast gets better and better each week because of your feedback and your input. So tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what you'd like to hear. Leave us a voicemail. Now, let's get to work. Today, I visit the Archdiocese of San Francisco. And yes, I'm very sorry for any 49ers fans who may be listening. I visited with the very talented Rod Linares, Director of Development, and the wonderful Florin Romero, who's the Director of Stewardship in the Archdiocese. We had a great conversation in their office, which is located in downtown San Francisco. And we talked about their stewardship formation program, maintaining good relationships with pastors, and an all-parish in-pew survey which they conducted at the end of 2019 in order to understand what people enjoy about their parish. And so, without further ado, here's our conversation. Well, Rod, Florian, welcome to the program. So glad to have you here today. Well, thank you for having us. It's great to be here in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. Uh, It's actually my first time in San Francisco. So thanks for your welcome. I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk with me today. I thought maybe we'd just start out and maybe each of you could tell us a little bit about your backgrounds. Florian, why don't we start with you? I've been working with the Archdiocese of San Francisco for, this is now, I think I'm on my 12th year. Mm -hmm. I came in 2008. What do we know? 2000. 2020. Yes. We just hit 2020. 2020. So 12 years that I've been working here. And the last three years in the Office of Stewardship full-time. Prior to that, I was working for the Office of Development. Mm Mm-hmm. Wonderful. What did you do in the Office of Development before you went over to stewardship? Pretty much everything. I started out as the admin assistant for the department. But then we were all brand new then. So there was a new admin assistant, new director, and new associate director. So we all ended up just sharing the work. And that's where I learned everything through the years. So after being hired for three months, I ended up being the graphic artist for the Office of Development, where we decided to do all the graphic materials, uh, printed materials for the annual appeal and the priest retirement. That's because I have a background in advertising. Oh, okay. Where'd you go to school? Oh, in the Philippines. Yes. So I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts major in advertising. And when we were paying somebody a lot of money to do the materials, I figured, hey, I can do this. Keep this in-house. Yes. Good plan. And then from there, then they just added more things like, then we needed to do priest retirement gala 
after a few years, the moderator of Curie said we needed to do something for our retired priests. And having come from a large family and always hosting parties for my children, I then ended up with the responsibility to run this priest retirement luncheon. Great. So there on, then they just added more things and more things. And then in 2015, that's when Archbishop Cordiglione said that he sent three of us to Wichita to find out about stewardship. Well, actually, we were there to find out why they had no capital campaign or any annual appeal. And we were told it was stewardship. After four days, I came back the most inspired about stewardship and slowly I got moved on to running the Office of Stewardship was reopened because we didn't have an Office of Stewardship then. Mm-hmm. And so with um, under Father Pitteritz guidance, who is our moderator of the Curia, he and I, well, I report to him, he and I worked together running the stewardship program for the Archdiocese. Well, that's great. So, and, and Rod, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, born and raised in the Bay Area. Been here my whole life, other than when I went away to college. Uh, about 25, 26 years of my career, the first 25 or 26 years, were spent working with a uh, major, well, with two actually major uh, fundraising campaigns. I was doing consulting. Oh. So I had a great amount of experience in uh, with nonprofit arena, primarily in capital campaigns, annual giving, some public relations and such. And about uh, three years or so ago, I was as happy as can be working a little south of here on some capital campaigns and such. Although I love the work, I started to go weary of the bouncing from client to client. I wanted to immerse myself with an organization, become a part of it on a longer, uh, in terms of a longer range. And so the opportunity arose with the Archdiocese here to uh, be their director of development. And it just ended up being, as I was hoping it would be, kind of the uh, perfect marriage, if you will, of my professional background and then my personal life. I mean, I was, like I say, born and raised here, went to Catholic schools my entire life. So it ended up being a very, very nice synergy. I got very, very fortunate. Beautiful. And and where did you go to college? You said you went away? I went to Notre Dame in beautiful South Bend, Indiana. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. It was a wonderful yeah. experience. But no, it's been great to, uh, yeah. to be part of the Archdiocese because it mm-hmm. has been primarily and precisely what I had hoped it would be, kind of that nice marriage of professional and personal. Well, in the San Francisco area, is just beautiful, and you have a a very active bishop who's very – archbishop, I should say, who's very engaged, Salvatore Cordleone. I was listening to a little interview with him where he talked about his parents uh, were immigrants to San Francisco, and so that has been a a little bit of a focus for him since he came on as bishop. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the other focuses that the archbishop has had with you here in San Francisco. I know he's played a big role with you in stewardship. Yes, well – Based on the last, they had a convocation with a priest. The archbishop said there are three things that he was really, he would be focusing on. One would be, of course, the seminary. The second one is Benedict the Sixteenth, And the third one is stewardship. He always told us, like, if there was anything he would like to leave behind as a legacy, that would be it. And he also said, you know, stewardship will take a very long time. And he's always told me, you may not even reap the fruits of your labor. It's not in your lifetime. Maybe those that will come after us will be the ones. But when you say stewardship and people don't hold on to their wallets, then it would have been a very successful thing. So he's very much, uh, and I, I, I've seen a couple of his videos where he really weaves in the spirituality of the stewardship and 
calling people to be stewards. And, you know, we know from our experiences as stewardship directors that it's all about bringing people to Christ, right? That we become disciples and that down the road, money some at some point might become a part of it or a byproduct of it. Has that been the way you've approached it? Yes. So we focus a lot. We do a lot of formation programs mm-hmm. for our parishes, and we really focus on the spirituality, focusing on the prayers and understanding what it is to be a disciple of Christ, and even a lot of teaching about the Mass. Because apparently we have a lot of people that go to Mass regularly, but they don't actually understand the Mass. So it becomes an obligation instead of loving uh, having to go to Mass. It's just one of those things they have to check in the box. But once they know what the Mass is all about, they get excited about it. So that's what we focus on. Yes, money is a byproduct. It's one of the legs of um, stewardship. And we always say you can't just teach just time and talent and forget about treasure because stewardship is really about giving your all. So you can't keep one and just say, oh, this is all I'm going to give you. Right. So I'm curious about the program. So you say that you're, you want it, you're getting people more involved or engaged with the Mass or in learning about the Mass. How does that look? We actually work with the Diocese of Wichita. So they already had this program called the Spirituality of Stewardship. And for them, it's a four-session video program. So we just added on to that. And I don't know, I think you know Dave Baranowski. I do. In fact, we've had him on the program here before. So Dave from the Archdiocese of Seattle and Audrey from the Diocese of Wichita and Steve from the Archdiocese of Seattle. They helped us form our program together. So we ran this six-session program. We start out with understanding the spirituality and then going to all the way up to Mass, figuring out, you know, how to discern what your gifts are and how to apply those gifts, you know, how to serve in the right way. And also, of course, the money portion, we teach them about budgeting. You can't really be generous when you don't know what you have. So everything has to be in order. And then we do that like three cycles, three times in a parish in a year. And how is how is the program rolled out? Is it a separate class? Is it woven into the mass or how does no, that? It's a separate class. It and is, yeah. um, so we start out with having the pastor invite those people. And then it's supposed to be like the Amway style. And so those that have come to the class are to invite other people nice. to come to the next class. So they become evangelizers, right? right. They so told two friends and they told two friends, right? And so that's how they just grow. And otherwise, we can't preach the whole church. Not everybody's going to come. It's got to be by word of mouth and by invitation. And developing authentic relationships and engaging people on a personal level. And then also, like, now I'm more engaged with the parishioners. Mm -hmm. I'm more a part of them because then I work with the people that come to these classes. We now have this form, this bond. Like, they would call me at 10 o'clock at night or text me at 2 o'clock in the morning when they want to move on or do something for their parish as far as, far as stewardship is concerned. Yeah. Wow. That's one at two o'clock in the morning they call yes. you? Yes. Wow. Yeah. You are very accessible, Florian. <laughs> <laughs> I'd let that go to voicemail, but that's okay. <laughs> You're good. You're good. That's great. So um, I, I imagine the pastors must be loving this program, right? Because they're getting their people more engaged and they must see, do they see that in their time and talent initially and then maybe eventually in their treasure? Well, it takes a while. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, you don't really see much of those. They get excited mm-hmm. when we've taught the class once or twice. 
But then you really start seeing the results maybe on the third year. This is only our fourth year. So fourth or fifth year. And so we now see like the parish, because not everybody's a stewardship. Not all our parishes are stewardship parishes. We're just starting. And right now we have the seven that we work with. And they themselves, their counts, some of their counts have gone up. And what they get excited about is they said people that we didn't expect to meet are now our friends, and then they do things together. Beautiful. Yeah. That's great. That's great, Florian. So, uh, Rod, do you mm-hmm. see uh, some of this translating a little bit into your work as development director, or is it pretty separate? I know that the two offices actually kind of exist separately here in the Archdiocese, and that was by design to keep the spirituality separate from the fundraising. But how does that tie into your work? Well, in actuality, as you mentioned, they're separate, but the the essence of it is that, as we were talking earlier about money being a byproduct and such, And I truly believe that people, through development, what we're doing is giving people an opportunity to really invest in something about which they care deeply. So by giving them a greater understanding of the Mass, by getting them more immersed in their parish life in in terms of programs, services, community, whatever it may be, that they get, they then end up giving more frequently because they want to be a more, more a part of it and they want to see it grow. So the overlap, while it's not so easily defined in many ways, I think there certainly are are a number of avenues in which there's overlap. Uh, The stewardship parishes have seen to varying degrees increases in giving because of obviously the number of people who are now attending Mass and are more significantly more engaged in the Mass, more active in the parish itself. So there's tangible benefits there, but I think the long-term more intangible benefits will come from just more immersion, more activity, more engagement in the parishes by people throughout our archdiocese. Tremendous. You know, like, okay, so we're, I'm working with this parish for the three years now. And surprisingly, which is very exciting, which is, this is the first time we've met our annual appeal in a matter of months, because they were the ones that, you know, they were slacking and all that. And then they said their parish count has gone up. Their income, they said, you know, before we would compare ourselves to the parish down the road, we, they're up here and we're like 60% down. And now they said the income's even, even. Hmm. And then they say it's all because of stewardship. They say, well, not coming from me. <laughs> well, when you give them the script, no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good teacher for it. Yeah. That's really good. That's really excellent. So, uh, Rod, uh, before you came to uh, the Archdiocese, you say you, you came from a consulting background, so you obviously you have the, the large picture of probably going around the country and around the region doing fundraising. How, does it, how do you see the uh, Archdiocese of San Francisco kind of uh, in the scope of uh, the dioceses in California? I mean, you, here geographically, you're not that far from Oakland, you're not that far from San Jose. Uh, Sacramento's just uh, theoretically a couple hours away, but we know with traffic maybe a little bit longer. Where do you guys sit, you know, kind of in this in this landscape in the Archdiocese? Uh, the Archdiocese of San Francisco is uh, unique in many ways. It's actually very small. It's only three counties, Marin to the north of San Francisco, San Francisco County itself, and then San Mateo County. About mm-hmm. 450,000 Catholics in the Archdiocese. And the demographics of the three counties are a little diverse, particularly Marin is much more um, Caucasian, so to speak, where San Francisco and San Mateo counties are much more diverse in, in terms of the racial breakdown. 
But there are some similarities among the three counties, the persons, obviously, as more significantly, there are just similarities among people. Mm -hmm. And so when I speak with development directors in Oakland, San Jose, Stockton, those are the ones with whom I've had the most most discussions. Uh, There's certainly tremendous commonalities, what people respond to, uh, what pastors want. All those types of things, there are certainly themes that uh, go throughout all of our archdiocese that selfishly make it easy for me, a little easier, I won't say yeah, easy, sure. easy, uh, easier for me to kind of uh, work through some of the challenges here because you have people to bounce things off. So uh, it's, you, you cued into a whole lot of things there, Rod. I, I would say, um, how do you, uh, let me ask you both this question, how do you maintain good working relationships with pastors? I mean, sometimes that is just the key, right? I mean... He can uh, say yes or no to working on the annual appeal or engaging in a stewardship initiative. But what are some? How, how are some of the ways in which you maintain those good working relationships? Well, I like to say to uh, I've said this many times ad nauseum. Probably all pastors, all priests felt a call to minister. Mm-hmm. But I've said I don't feel that I've ever run across one that had a call to administer. And so they are inundated with things that they have to deal with, parish councils, finance councils, all kinds of uh, other issues and items and such, not to mention if the parish happens to have a school. Right. So my role, I believe, as development is to try to give them solutions mm-hmm. to this one very significant facet of what they're involved with in their parish, which is the money-raising component. Mm-hmm. So by the through the solutions, or specifically what I'm defining that as, I try to give them a plan, a format through which they can undertake their annual appeal. I try to help them if they need to set up for to strategize for a capital campaign. I try to focus on the need for uh, and. and additional kind of a plan giving to help secure long-term future. Our role is really to serve, assist, and support the pastors that they can focus on ministering to the persons in their parish. So I try to convey that. And I emphasize the word try because I'm certainly not at all saying I'm eminently successful, but that is my goal, to try to help give them solutions to this one facet, again, at the risk of repetition, this one facet of their role, which is especially significant, that money-raising component, but it's certainly not one to which I've met any pastors, and I can say that truthfully, uh, that they come to excitedly, but I try to make it at least a little bit more, uh, make them a little bit more comfortable with it through, again, trying to help them through some of these uh, issues and giving them solutions. Beautiful. And I, th- I think you said it beautifully. Working at, having worked in a parish years ago, I would see the stack of mail be half a foot high sometimes come in from these guys. And that just could be the internal mail, <laughs> you know, stuff they get from the archdiocese and all the different offices. So trying to, uh, trying to lay it out for them in a simple way is fantastic. The one other thing I wanted to mention is I've said to them a number of times, I said, I have no idea what it's like to sit in their seat. Right. And the significance of that is I try to keep in mind when I'm distributing something to them, when I'm introducing something to them, that I know that they're dealing with, again, items, issues, stresses of which I have no idea. So I'm trying to present it to them in such a way that makes it easy for them, makes it comfortable with them. And I'm trying to, as much as possible, again, without pretending that I can, put myself in their shoes. You know, if, if this were coming at me and I were under besiege in all these different areas, how would I approach this? What would I want it to look like? What would make me feel more comfortable with the way it's presented and more willing to kind of undertake it? Well, and, and then if you're coming at it from a service mentality, right? And I think that's the right way to go. 
Yeah. Well, that's the, that's all we knew. They work very hard. They, they work very, mm-hmm. very, very hard, and we owe it to them. I strongly believe to do all we can to make their job as I don't want to say as easy, but as smooth as possible with this one facet over which I have some kind of I won't say control, but some kind of a relationship with them. I was looking at some of the stats on your website. Um, Eighty-nine parishes. That sound about right. A little over 90. Little we'll over have to 90. change that. Florian, are you in charge? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no, just kidding. She's not. Uh, it's right. a little over 90, 90, 91. That's okay. It, it, roughly half a uh, half million Catholics. You said around yeah. 450. What, 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 the one thing that surprised me, it said 87 schools. Do you really have 87 schools or is that a typo? Well, when you combine uh, elementary schools, high schools, and kind of non uh, diocesan schools. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are that many schools. I think about maybe two third, maybe a 55 or so of our parishes have elementary schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right off the bat, you're over halfway. And then again, you combine the high schools, both archdiocesan and non-archdiocesan, and you come up with, uh, come up with that number. So yeah, education is a, is a tremendous, uh, emphasis and priority in the archdiocese, obviously, as it is in others. Do you all play a little bit of a role in that or is that outside another office? It's in this building. It's yes. another office. It's peripheral. We yeah. have. I feel we have a yeah. very, very good relationship. Actually, I was just uh, downstairs with the people in the Department of Catholic Schools working out some things for the 2020 annual appeal, mm-hmm. uh, and they have been just wonderful. And they, there's been an increased emphasis, I would believe, Florian can jump in any time, uh, with regard mm-hmm. to the schools and the, the Catholic teaching in the schools and stuff like that, which really bodes well. It's very, mm-hmm. uh, very exciting yeah. to see what they're looking to do going forth. That's great. F- Florian, do you, um, do, is, how do you incorporate stewardship for young people? Is there a special program in, in your diocese? Well, we have some parishes that do have um, stewardship, teach stewardship in their Catholic education, not in the schools, mm-hmm. but the Sunday school. The prep program, parish religious education yes, program. Yeah, that's where, um, like specifically St. Augustine, they have um, part of their program that's uh, directed to um from kindergarten to um, age 12. So they're starting them out in stewardship. Um, the others, we have, again, catechists that teach them. We just give them materials that they can use. But so far, we only have two parishes from the seven that we're working with. So how do you uh, – this is a question for both of you because um, you both come at it from different perspectives. How, how, how do you think we're engaging young people as a church? You know, I, I was watching the USCCB back in October. Bishop Robert Barron heads the Evangelization Committee. We've talked about this a little bit on the program before. But um, one of the their big emphasis now is engaging young adults, you know, yeah. and the nuns, right, those who don't subscribe to any religion. Um, how, how do you, does, how does that impact your ministry, your fundraising? Um, do, do you have any kind of efforts going on at the diocesan level? At the diocesan level, we have the young adult ministry, and that's pretty much their job, mm-hmm. is to get the young adults engaged. Engaged, sure. But in my own department, when there is a youth ministry, we make sure that there is one from that ministry, even the ministry leader, to be a representative of, uh, to become a council member of the stewardship council. Mm-hmm. So then they're involved. They know what's going on and everybody has the same mind. Great. So. Uh, youth obviously is the, uh, is the one 
one of the primary issues that all diet I shouldn't say all maybe there are some that don't that many or if not most dioceses have a have a oh, challenge oh, I think they're all I think they all yeah. but you never know <laughs> you never you know. never <laughs> ever know and that one if you run across it yeah, let me know I will um, <laughs> but I think here it has been as it is in most a a priority uh, because of you know, you look at the future and you think, oh, my heavens, what, what, what are we going to look like 10, 15, 20 years down the road? Right. With regard to youth, what there's been an emphasis in quite recently is getting, getting youth to be more involved in kind of retreats, whether they be confirmation retreats, whether they be just high school retreats, training retreats, because the feeling seems to be that if they can get the youth to engage in that manner in a communal type sense, then there will be kind of a synergy that will result as a, as the, uh, as a byproduct product they're both being together and seeing what they can do as good together young adults they take an interesting or we i should say take an interesting approach here in that they look they kind of group their organizations and priorities in terms of kind of stage of life as opposed to just the x age to x age they look at singles what can we do for singles that what can we do with couples what can we do with young professionals that's smart yeah it's i think it's very very smart and as a result obviously they're getting people who are kind of like-minded and obviously in the same stages of life so they are able they're able i should say to provide them with experiences and focuses that are more communal and they would be more likely to kind of perpetuate because right. they're going to they're going to be with like people and doing the same kinds of things the one thing in an overall sense i think ap- applies to uh, to youth and to young adults is an emphasis on social ministry hmm. and one of my real goals is to uh, make everyone in the archdiocese. I know this is a little aspirational, but why not? Why not to make everyone in the archdiocese aware of all the good that this church does? It's very interesting. I've been a member of uh, Saint Gregory Parish down in San Mateo for 25, 26, 27 years, something like that. Before I had this job, which has now been two and a half years, I was just a regular St. Greg's parishioner. You know, I'd show up once a week, probably didn't know what the mass entailed, I'm afraid <laughs> to say. Uh, but I, and I knew what we did at St. Gregory's in terms of our outreach. Yeah. But I didn't know what Immaculate Heart of Mary a mile over the hill in Belmont did. I didn't know what St. Matt's a mile and a half north on El Camino in San Mateo did. When I got in this job, I learned that, hey, St. Charles, a few miles down the road in San Carlos, for 25 years, they've gone to Mexico, 70, 80, 90 people uh, every summer and build homes. Wow. Uh, IHM has outreach to those in care homes in the homebound. St. Rita in Fairfax and Marin, Guatemala for 25 years. I mean, every parish has a very, very significant, profound outreach ministry. And so to come back to my goal, I would love to be able to, I'm still working on it, I would still, I'm trying to get a database of all of those. I truly believe that there is so much good that goes on. And if we all knew, me and my little St. Greg, someone else in IHM, if we knew what all of our fellow parishes did in this 90 parish archdiocese, it would be a great source of pride for all of us as Mm -hmm. Catholics. Mm -hmm. And that kind of social outreach, social ministry, I think is something that appeals to all people, whether they're youth, middle age, the elderly, whatever. That's what Catholics do. Yes. And that's what's so exciting about it. And I think it's just, uh, to come back, kind of a great shame that too often we're all always in our own little uh, parish bubble, so to speak, not knowing what our fellow parishes do. No one's fault. It's just, a, you know, we're so concerned, as most people are, kind of with the blinders are going ahead. Right. But if we all knew what each other did, I think it would be a, a great boon for all of us.
Well, there's so many opportunities too, and, and that was one of the things that Bishop Barron had said was, um, you know, you have to find common ways to um, common meeting points with young adults. In other words, what are they interested in? You know, we're not going to win on the um, on the topic of uh, gender, you know, or same-sex ge- gender dating or whatever. Um, we're not going to win on that issue with a lot of them. So find that common ground. And one of the common grounds is, is just as you articulated there is our social ministry, our ministry of service. They can buy into service to the poor right away. They can buy into building homes in Mexico right away. There's there's no big sell there. They and so meet people where they're at, rather than you know try to adopt or ad- adapt them into our way of thinking first. You know what's very interesting. I mentioned San uh, San Carlos, St. Charles Parish, down in Mexico, and in talking to the people down there a little bit more, what's been fascinating to me, but it's kind of human nature. Uh, the people that have been involved since they were like 17, 18 years old when they started and they got to go along and they got to stop and they stop in Southern California for that. Then they go into Mexico and they build homes on that. And now 10, 15 years later, they've kind of graduated up. Now they get to drive the vans. Okay. And they're, they're in charge. <laughs> and it sounds like, oh yeah, that's kind of funny. But it's really quite a, a big threshold that sure. they pass. If they've been involved for, I don't know what it is, six, seven, eight years, I don't mm-hmm. think it's anything that's steadfast, then they are a van driver and they are a kind of a team leader. That's my term, not theirs. Yeah. And that that's a really wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. So we have people that have been involved for a decade, two decades uh, in doing something that's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And I'm sure that's being replicated in all of our other parishes and parishes throughout the United States. And we should trumpet it more. In fact, that's what I asked um, one of our pastors in one of my parishes that I work with. So these kids that go to um, confirmation classes, what do we have for them? after they're done with confirmation. Mm-hmm. And so now they're thinking about, you know, once you let go, it's hard to get them back. So before you let them go, have something for them. So we're, you know, some of our pastors take them um, kayaking or hiking. You know, at least get them still engaged. It doesn't have to be religious classes. It's something that they can do outside. It's just having that feeling that they still belong to the church. Not that after confirmation, we've been let go and we're done. Our obligation's done. We've gotten the sacrament. Mm -hmm. But no, this is your second home. There will always be something for you. Just as you were saying a second ago, Rod, that part of our job is to communicate, right? It is to cultivate and to let people know what we have going on. So, I mean, that just kind of dovetails with everything that you're saying here. Absolutely. I mean, the Catholic Church does so much that I just think it's, uh, I might have said this before, but it's mm. just a real shame that we, it's not as well known as it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our outreach to the homeless, our outreach in terms of feeding people, our outreach in a million different areas is so overwhelming and so positive. But I, I don't really believe that Catholics are perceived as doing as much as we do. And that's the essence of our faith is that kind of outreach and giving. Uh, and so there's a real opportunity there, I believe, to let that be known. And if it could be known, obviously the uh, benefits are probably unimaginable. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. So uh, switching gears a little bit, Rod, tell us a little bit about your annual fund. How, how is the, uh, the annual appeal going? 
this year just recently completed or in the final stages to mm-hmm. be precise uh 2019 actually it's the highest level it's ever been so Great. we're very very excited about that congratulations uh, and the wonderful part of it is we get to start the next one in about two weeks uh, <laughs> <laughs> no so it, it's at the highest level it's ever been not you know uh, astronomically mm-hmm. but it, it has reached a higher level than it ever has before mm-hmm. um and you know i think that's attributable to a few things there has been increased communication uh, more proactive communication and those types of things about which we were just speaking. What exactly does the appeal do? I, I refer back to, as I often do, my days as a regular St. Greg's parishioner. You know, and I try to remember, you know, what did I think about the appeal when I was just a guy in the pews there eight, nine years ago? And I remember thinking quite vividly, you know, this money's just going up there. San Mateo, south of San Francisco. It's just going up there, and where is it going? And I give, but at a nominal, at best, amount. And I'm complimenting myself when I'm saying nominal. Uh, but so I thought, what, what do people need? People need to know exactly what the money's going to. Uh, and because people don't want to help. It sounds worse than it is, but it's true. People don't like to help thousands of people as much as they want to help one person. Mm -hmm. So what we've tried to do is really emphasize this money will go to this science class. And this girl might now have an increased uh, interest in perhaps pursuing a career in science because of your support of the annual appeal. Or our restorative justice ministry. This family, this husband and wife lost their son. He was murdered in San Francisco. And because of the restorative justice ministry and your support of the appeal, they've received counseling they're able to participate in support groups so they can go on with their lives so it's showing exactly where the money's going i think has played a little bit of a role uh, again i can't say that we've increased by 50 60 percent and it's a long ongoing process so i think that's been beneficial the other thing is the the fact that we're trying to implement much more of a structured format to the appeal. Um, you know, Florian started with the appeal and did a spectacular job, and I'm just kind of piggybacking that. And so what she started, what we're doing is, you know, maybe looking at encouraging the parishes to do it over a six, eight, very finite period of time mm-hmm. uh, for, for a couple reasons. I think if parishes do it over a finite period of time uh, and the parishioners are aware of that, they'll be more attuned to its focus, its connection to mission and ministry of the archdiocese. Also, when it's completed over a six, eight, ten week period of time, whatever it is, and not drawn out over the course of the year, it just do, it does not become just another thing, a drudgery. Because I kind of said half jokingly at the beginning of this, but it's true. If you're in a parish and you kind of started your annual appeal campaign in February, March, you didn't make the goal. Now the end of the year is coming. We got to make the goal. Got to make the goal. Got to make the goal. And hey, you make the goal, and then literally four, five, six weeks later, now it's time for the next year's annual appeal. Right. And no one, I don't think would get too excited about that kind of an ongoing, never-ending thing of just give us more money. So to tie it more to mission and ministry, to make it more something where there's a plan, a specific plan, and you can focus on communication and education, those are helping a little bit, but there is certainly a ways to go. How are you finding uh, donor retention these days? I mean, nationally, it's shrinking. I think it's a challenge every development office has, but how, how is that impacting San Francisco? Donor retention has been an issue, not an overwhelming issue yet, but, you know, you look at the demographics and it's Mm. just a matter of time. I mean, you know, so it's nothing that we're doing that's unique here. Uh, It is an ongoing issue. It's something about which we think and try to discuss and perhaps act on uh, frequently. But, uh, yeah, you know, I 
I shudder to think of, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. Obviously, mm-hmm. some of our greatest donors are those that are have been donors for 40, 50, 60 years. And obviously, that cannot go on. But we're doing we're doing okay for now. Wonderful. And you're developing the younger donors with the Archbishop Circle and all oh, that. Oh, tell us about that. Well, the Archbishop Circle is a program that began about uh, three, four years ago. And it's been very, very exciting because the Archbishop set it up as a way to fund projects that are outside the normal archdiocesan budget. So they are projects that he identifies with some input from others, but obviously he is the ultimate determinant of what's included. Uh, on an annual basis. So over the three or four years of the Archbishop's Circle, there are some that have remained constant. It runs on a fiscal year. There are some that have remained constant. A trip to Lourdes uh, for seminarians and perhaps those that ought to be seminarians. Uh, funding uh, the Rosary Rally, the Walk for Life here in San Francisco, and types of things of that sort. And then there are others that change year to year according to what the Archbishop deems to be priorities. There's been marketing for Catholic schools. There's been the Deacon's Assistance Fund. There's been a Spanish language kind of a leadership program. So it's very exciting in that way. And the one thing that we mentioned to the the Archbishop Circle donors is we reinforce over and over again the value of their support. Without the support of the Archbishop Circle members, these programs simply would not be funded. And so they can see very tangibly how they are helping, I shouldn't even say helping, I should be stronger than that, they are directly supporting this deacon's wife whose husband, for whatever, you know, health reasons, now there's financial. So they can get a direct tangible benefit, a tangible line between their financial support and these programs. And that, not only are we getting the benefits of the programs, but as Florian touched on, uh, we are kind of starting to cultivate a, um, a new kind of set of donors. The challenge with that, though, is... Uh, kind of an internal thing. Right now, the Archbishop Circle is more of a of a private thing, not by design. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm I'm trying to come up with a way to make it more public, so that when I'm walking around my parish, if if I were a circle member, although Florian is a circle member, uh, that people would see that she's a circle member. Because right now, our marketing's done through you know the Catholic San Francisco newspaper, word of mouth, things like that. So I have to make the private public. That's kind but, of the little challenge. But what also helps is we have like um, functions where all the members are invited to come together. So there are the the donors that have been donors and supporters of the church for the last 30, 40, 50 years of their lives. And this are, there are now these new kids. They're in their 20s and they're able to participate and join as circle members and they get inspired by these people that have been around been supporting and um, they realize well there's a that's a big generation difference but Mm -hmm. we believe in the same thing we want to support the same thing so they get encouraged. I think that's what I see now, the, during the events. The circle members uh, range. We have people in their 20s to over 90, all three counties, all walks mm-hmm. of life, uh, law enforcement, teachers, business, etc. And one of the by two last things, one of the byproducts mm-hmm. is the relationships that have been forged between the circle members. People from a parish up in Marin County, people from parish in San Mateo who never would have crossed paths 
they've formed relationships now as a result of being in the circle. Hmm. And the other more significant thing, the archbishops touched on this numerous times, is the support they give him, not financially. Mm -hmm. He's actually joked. He says, you know, no one's ever said to me, man, how'd you get to be so lucky to be Archbishop of San Francisco? So he kind of of laughs about (laughs) that. But he just, the support that they provide him, the psychological and emotional support, knowing that these are people that really love him. They've many have used that word in, in talking about him to me and support him. I don't think you can anyone can really quantify that me what that means to Archbishop Cordelioni. So that that's a really neat kind of byproduct and very valuable. And and how uh, how does someone enter the circle? The circle is uh, $3,000 per year is the threshold. Okay. Uh, so we have gifts from three th- – unless you're under 40. If you're under 40, it's $1,000 per year. So that's how you get your young adults engaged. Yeah, gotcha. That's how we get the young uh, adults that's engaged. Great. And we have a number of them, and then we've had gifts up to $50,000 and mm-hmm. kind of along that spectrum in between. And it's grown. It's about maybe two, three – the budget is about two, three times larger than it was in its initial year, mm-hmm. which uh, obviously is very significant because – more programs can be supported, more needs can be addressed, more ministries can be taken care of. So it's been fantastic so far with a lot to go, but it's very exciting. Well, it, it certainly creates opportunity for relationship building, which is what you're saying is happening here, especially between the younger uh, and the older donors. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's tremendous. And, and I, I saw that same thing happen you know, when I worked in the Diocese of Allentown. I found that when you got them together, uh, around a cause, around the mission, it just great things happen. There was networking that happened. Sometimes it's beneficial for them. Sometimes they might find somebody for their company that they didn't know existed. Someone has that same those same Catholic values they want to incorporate into their business. It, it, some beautiful things can really happen. Now we have a few times, maybe three, four times a year when they gather retreats and Lent and Advent. We have kind of an educational gathering in the fall, and we have a summer social. Mm-hmm. And summer social, there's no real agenda other than social. But it's really neat for the retreats. Um, it's very interesting because we want to start the retreats at 9 o'clock. And we want mm-hmm. to be out by 2 o'clock. People are on their way. And almost invariably, we start the retreats late because everyone's chatting, 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 That's chatting. Great. And we don't want to say, gee, let's get going with the retreat. I mean, they all want to. But at the same time, they just love getting together those handful of times a year. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. Beautiful. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, planned giving. Are, are there uh, how how is planned giving here in the in the archdiocese? Uh, planned giving, I will say, there's lots of room for improvement. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, as we all know, we are headed in the United States for the largest intergenerational transfer of wealth in history, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's something that has to be harnessed, and especially in San Francisco. I mean, mm-hmm. you have the traditional, stereotypical, I should say, the person that's been in their house and their house has gone from thirty thousand to one point five two. Shouldn't say one point five two million, shame on me, <laughs> two million or more dollars. And so that is something that we're really trying to to focus on. And we've done some seminars in the very in various parishes as a way of introducing uh, the concept of plan giving. We do get a good number of bequests, but we just need to be more successful in our proactivity in this regard. Sure. Uh, I, I do believe, though, with regard to plan giving, there's still a little bit of an ominous kind of gray foreboding nature to it. You know, mm-hmm. people think, well, what is it? Will, trust, what do I have to do? I don't want to sign over my all these other things. Sounds complicated. Sounds complicated. Yeah. And I try to make 
make it as simple as possible. One mm-hmm. line to the will or trust, you can, you know, it can be a thousand dollars, it can be one percent. It doesn't always have to be a house. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to be a house. So that's kind of what we're working on. Uh, looking also at possibly uh, working with an organization that does this with nonprofits and has been very successful in the nonprofit arena uh, in coming and instituting a plan. So that is not as successful as we could be by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly is one of our priorities. What is the uh, what is the economy like here in San Francisco? Is it pretty much similar to what you're seeing around the country, or how was how has that impacted your fundraising? Uh, the economy has been very good in yeah. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, here what we have a lot of people that you know. Uh, house rich, cash poor, you know, nah. disposable income. Sure. Everyone's got a house worth X, you know, with mm-hmm. a lot of zeros after it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone, a lot of people. But a lot of times people are strapped on a monthly basis because of their desire to get a foothold in real estate here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have not seen, we have not seen a decrease in, in, in giving in any way mm-hmm. um, it, b- due to that type of thing. So it's been, the economy's, very strong. But what I see is, um, the ones that I see for young adults, they're very generous. The young adults that we have that are engaged in the parish, unbelievable the amount of generosity, the amount of support they give to the parish financially and of their time. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they do a lot of prayers, you know. <laughs> but still, and you know how they spend so much time helping out teach in the parish and yet they're so you know very supportive financially when there's a need I see a lot of the young adults are the first responders mm-hmm. so people regardless of their you see this far greater than we do because you travel over I mean people respond to a need Mm-hmm. I mean, I have yet to see a situation in which a need was not presented and people did not um, respond appropriately and overwhelmingly. And it's really a wonderful, wonderful thing to witness because mm-hmm. uh, it just reinforces kind of your belief in the human spirit. It's a fantastic thing to see. We're very fortunate. So I want to talk for a minute about um, this the, the model that you're working in. So you both work together, obviously, but you work in separate offices. I'm just curious, how did uh, – how did that decision come about where we we're going to separate the Office of Stewardship from the Office of Development, uh, and, and how is that working for you? Um, it started out, actually, when um, during Cardinal Levada's time, they had stewardship and development, stewardship the overall of development, but then stewardship was sold as an increased offertory program. And after a few years, it was a six-month program. So after a few years, Cardinal Levada said, just close stewardship and just do development. When I came in 2008, there was no such thing as the Office of Stewardship. It was the Office of Development. And we had a different increased offertory program. And everything else was focused on the annual appeal. And then when Archbishop Cordinione came, he really believed in stewardship, but it's the spirituality. And yet, you know, he didn't know. Um, he There was just nobody there to take care of it or to be in charge of it. And again, that's how Father Pritchard and I ended up doing it, just because we were the ones we really believed in it. Maybe working for development for 10 years, I was looking for something more spiritual all my life. You know, I've run 
discos and run a department store. It's all about, you know, like raising the money, raising the money. And then here's this opportunity to be more spiritual and to be inspired by what I've seen in mm-hmm. Wichita that got me on fire. Well, there's so, some great resources out there, yes. as you described earlier. And so when the Archbishop saw, you know, first he allowed me to stay in development half, half, half stewardship, half development. Yep. I wasn't in charge of development. I was just working for the Office of Development, um, doing the appeal and the Bruce Retirement Luncheon and other products. But when he realized, you know, okay, we're moving forward, we did, he didn't want, you know, the confusion of an increased offer target because he wanted us to make it clear that this is not an increased offertory program. It's more than an increased offertory program. This is really about the spirituality and getting the people engaged. Do you run those kind of programs out of your office, increased offertory programs? No, or, oh, you I don't. don't. I don't, and I don't do any fundraising. No fundraising, yeah. gotcha. And I'm also not funded by the annual appeal, but I'm funded by the Archbishop Circle. So there's a difference. Okay. Yes, there's a difference. Oh, okay. And they ask us, why aren't you funded by the annual appeal? One, because not all our parishes are stewardship parishes. So we don't run the programs in all the parishes. And we do charge our parishes an annual fee mm-hmm. to pay for all the materials and all. So it's totally separate. Mm-hmm. So in another podcast, Florian, I want to talk to you about uh, running the discos, but we'll talk. We'll, that'll be a. <laughs> you let that slip. I couldn't let that. I couldn't let that go. It was on the table, just sitting there. I had to. <laughs> it's awesome. Rod, are your annual appeal goals uh, mandatory, or do they have to achieve that goal? Yep. Yeah, yeah, they do. And do they get a a rebate, or how does that work? They do. Yeah. Uh, the appeals goals are, as you say, mandatory. They get a rebate those that exceed it, and mm-hmm. uh, so obviously the goal, our goal in terms is to have more of the parishes reach their goal without it being without the mandatory component of it kicking in. Right. That's the target that we're shooting for. And I think that's what we're getting to, albeit a little slowly, through the six to eight to ten week format, through the increased emphasis on mission ministry. I, I believe strongly if we can get the average parishioners like me to see, hey, this is what it's going to, this is what it's about. Uh, you know, eventually we'll get to a much higher level of those reaching it on their own. So a question for both of you as we kind of come to a close, what are your what are your hopes for 2020 and where do you hope that your offices are kind of building towards? What are some of your long range plans or hopes for your, for your ministries? Well, my goal and my prayer is that we convert more stewardship parishes. If mm-hmm. I could just have two or three for this year. Right. Two or I three parishes, be- that's good. Yeah, yes. it's a good goal. If we just move on like two or three every year, again, not in my lifetime will this work be completed. Uh, it will never be complete because stewardship is a way of, of life. In none of our lifetime, really, yes. but yeah. But, but you're still, planting you're, those seeds, Florian. I think yes, it's really so, important. Yeah. So if we can attract two or three more pastors mm-hmm. to convert into stewardship, mm-hmm. then I'm happy. What 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 would uh, I hate to put a number on it? But what percentage of your parishes have you worked with in stewardship that you feel are in some way kind of engaged in stewardship? Well, um, I would say the ones that I work with. Mm-hmm. How many parishes we have? Ninety one. With well, let's say we have eighty nine parishes because sure. we have small missions. But it, like, I what percentage? Like, like how I only percent? have like seven percent. Seven percent right yes. now. Okay. So lots of room to grow. Yes, a lot of um, a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. Very big <laughs> room to grow. Yeah, but it takes a while. It, it does. I mean, the 
pastors, they have a lot of things that they have to deal with. Plus, mm-hmm. um, they want to see success first. In the before we take on this one, because Archbishop's not going to mandate. Of course, life would have been so much easier for me if he did. <laughs> well, for any of us, right? But yes. yeah, how do you? Here's a question for you how How do you? Um, how do you? sell a pastor on stewardship. That's a terrible way of putting it. But how do you convince him that stewardship is the right thing for his parish, adopting the spirituality? Well, first, I have to pray a lot. Okay. And then I go in there and tell them (laughs) what the program is and what the results are going to be. And we tell them right off the bat that this is going to be a long process. Mm -hmm. And so uh, most of the time when we move in, the pastor already knows about stewardship and just needs somebody to do it because the way we sell this to them is all I need is your support. We're going to do all the work. I'm going to do all the work and I'm going to work with the lay people mm-hmm. to move this over. So most of my parishes that I work with, we have big councils because there's a lot of work to do. So we go from a council of 12 to 24 mm-hmm. and the pastor just goes to say, okay, I like that but go ahead and do this. And he really doesn't do it. The only time I go to him is to ask him for a cover letter for the newsletter that's once every quarter. Sometimes I would give him a sample letter. And then if he says, okay, just use that, then that's what I'm going to use. But just to make it easy for them. Again, they've got their hands full. Uh, There's a lot of things that they have to deal with. So we just say, we're going to do it for you. Just Mm -hmm. give us the go and support us. Great. It's a good approach. It's a good approach. How about you, Rod? What's on the horizon? Well, I I think, um, you know, we talked or I mentioned that, you know, giving, someone giving to his or her parish is really kind of the end result, I firmly believe, of everything that is preceding that from their being engaged and immersed and seeing that they want to be a part of something that's going to grow. So actually at the end of last year, the fourth Sunday of 2019, we did an all parish in Pew survey. Very simple, 10, 11 questions. Why do you like your parish? Why do you come to Mass? What do you not like about your about the church? What would you like to see improved? Because we've been communicating, we've been marketing uh, to a target that we technically don't even know if it's accurate. So we thought it might be a great idea to get some tangible data as to what people know or enjoy about Mass, what people know or enjoy about their parish, so that if we can get that information and then help shape our efforts to better educate or better promote what it is we did see or didn't see through that data, I think it would help us all in all areas. The tangible outcome of that would be, very practical sense, I'd love to increase the regular plate giving, mm-hmm. increasing the offertory, because in that that is the obviously kind of the lifeblood that begets uh, the major gifts. And eventually, decades down the line, it would beget the plan giving, as we talked about. So that is really the core of everything we're doing. And it's just a derivative of, again, how do people feel about where they are, where their church is going, where their parish is going, and how engaged and tied they feel to it. Well, it's it's never a bad practice to collect input from your constituency and ask their opinion on how we doing, right? How we doing and what yeah. can we do to better understand what you want, what you see to help us all go together because we're all going down the same track. I just right. hope that we don't take these that we're not taking all these uh, off ramps. Right. Uh, so no, I firmly believe that that we we should get we haven't gotten we've gotten some 
a little bit of feedback because again, it was just a couple of weeks ago. We've seen some initial responses come in and there have been kind of what you'd expect, but some surprises, some surprises as well. So we're very excited to see when we get it all back, whatever all means, mm-hmm. um, what it tells us. Oh, it sounds fascinating. I'd love to take be. a look at that. It will be. Well, we'll do another podcast. That, yes. the first half, the second half yeah. will be the discos. That's great. So we'll, that's, that's we'll, we'll focus on the results and we'll talk we'll, about the discos. And then we'll, we'll, maybe we'll go to the disco and talk about the results. <laughs> that sounds even better. Well, Rod Florian, it's been great having you on the show today. I really appreciate the time you gave me and uh, hosting me here in the Archdiocese. It's been fantastic. Well, thank you very thank much you. for the opportunity. It's been a delight to meet you. Uh, welcome to San Francisco, and it's about late in the afternoon, so you can just zip on right out of the city with no traffic whatsoever. Well, that sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like a dream. <laughs> a dream is the operative word there. No, thank you very, very much for your time, and really thank you for all you do for the church. I had the opportunity as a result of your, you know, kind of uh, communicating to see uh, mm-hmm. and hear and read a little bit about what's gone on, and it's very exciting. It's very inspiring, so I want to thank you and everyone with whom you work, because it uh, uh, thanks, certainly Rob. is extremely valuable. Thank you. Well, we've had some really tremendous guests on the podcast and they share their wisdom like you guys did today and their perspective and i think it's a part of being kind of a part of this larger conversation i think we learn from each other because of it you know thank you both again thank you thank you so much i want to thank rod and florin for being on the show this week i think it'd be very interesting to follow up with them and find out the results of those surveys and so perhaps we'll have them back on a future show to discuss that a little bit further for more information about the great things happening in the archdiocese of san francisco please visit them at sf san francisco archdiocese.org sf archdiocese.org Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or leave us a voicemail. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. Take care and God bless.